All right, guys, welcome back to yet another episode of Let's Assess. This week, I am super, super, super excited for our guest. He's an awesome guy. We've become friends over the years. And in this podcast, we are going to be diving into everything. So many different random things that will bring you guys a ton of value. We talk anywhere from snowmobile builds, uh, the history of kind of his business. We go into what is the future of snowmobiling? Is electric going to take over? What is the future going to look like? We go into riding styles. We go into how you can make it in the snowmobile industry. All of that is packed into one episode for you. So listen through and uh, hopefully you enjoy this episode of Let's Assess Baby Yeah. The pressure just to detonate. I'm trying to blow up in these heaters, need to get it straight. Gifted with a All right, guys, welcome back to yet another episode of Let's Assess. Today, me and AJ are super, super excited. We are having an amazing guest today. I consider him the uh, pioneer of performance in the snowball industry and uh, the owner and founder of Vogue Performance and Alpine Motorsports, Mr. Eric. Wow, that was a flattering intro. Yeah, man. it Thank was. Thank you for that. I thought about that the whole ride here. <laughs> He did. He even tested he, it a yeah. few times. I'm like, how does this sound, <laughs> Rehearse AJ? that one. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, I wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for... <clears throat> Just keeping that clean there. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. All right. Not going to say it. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to jump right in. So um, I kind of want to just start kind of at the at the beginning. And how did you really get into the dealership performance side of things? That was two very different questions. All right, start with dealership. So just so you, you guys know, I've had no preparation in any of these questions, so they're just bringing these that, on me. That's what's going to make How did I get unique. into the dealership and <laughs> performance? So, so we start with dealership. I opened in, in 1990, but I, I, had been, I had been doing a lot of repair work, independent repair work on the side, and, and always had a passion for motorsports, and that's sort of what fed the uh, kind of the, I, I guess, the, the direction in, in, in my life to pursue a dealership. And an opportunity opened. It's actually kind of a funny story, so I'll, I'll try to make this as quick as I can. I was in 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 college. I was asked to in a business class asked to do a <clears throat> uh, an overview of a project where as I would start a business, and and I it, it was a hypothesis like you would ultimately choose a place and and then choose a business and then give an uh, give a business plan and and some some rationale as to why you would choose it. And I I for whatever reason chose opening a snowmobile or, or, or motorcycle dealership in, in Kremlin. And the real reason was because market analysis back then was pretty pretty scant, but it was good enough. <clears throat> and it showed a big hole where uh, there could be a, a successful business. So that always stuck with me. And, and it was actually years after that that I that I had an opportunity to rise to do just that. So so that's kind of a funny story. Um, maybe a little bit uh, truth to the predicting your, your future through your thoughts. But anyway, enough of that. As for performance, that was that – was a result of uh, of a relationship that formed shortly after opening the dealership. Um, we, <clears throat> I found myself communicating with some of the old engineers from Arctic Engineering back. Uh, gosh, this was in about '91. A couple of guys that that are around here, the Jones brothers, and they worked for Arctic Engineering and under a gentleman named Roger Skyim, quite an icon in the industry and a guy that I very much look up to and. They uh, they introduced me and and we started working together on various projects and 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 there was a lot of relevant data and testing that we were able to provide to them as a manufacturer sort of uh, on the <clears throat> on the side I guess you might say uh, because of our altitude and our our uh, access to snow and that's that's kind of how that started if that makes any sense so so you started with Articat. 
And then later I, moved yeah, with I players? Did. That's correct. I started okay. with Articat and worked with, uh, with Artic Engineering and, and with a number of other. That sort of spawned a relationship with a lot of other uh, aftermarket manufacturers. Uh, worked with companies back then like uh, A&N Performance, Olive A&N is an amazing guy, and Danny and Dale Rose um, from D&D, and uh, Black Magic, and geez, <clears throat> sort of about every uh, Speedworks and you know guys like that that I still work with, and and so it, it, it started working with these guys to develop altitude specific products that right. would perform better, you know, in in our conditions, and 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 we we were finding uh, we were finding benefits and, and and holes, if you will, and in problems and in products that we could make better and. And so that really sort of spawned the uh, <clears throat> the development of Vogue in general. Really, Vogue was um, never meant to be a consumer brand, actually. Really, and that was sort of a that that came out of that whole process. We we started doing this independent product testing and evaluation through originally the manufacturer relationships, but then um, you know all the aftermarkets. And at one time we. I think we had maybe 14 or 15 NDAs. That's a non-disclosure agreement with various companies as we were testing. Uh, I think at the time it was silencers, <laughs> testing different silencers for for product. And, and we were doing analysis, and, and, and the way we were doing it, we, we, we did dyno testing at altitude, but we also did a lot of empirical testing where we would use an exemplar machine and then install a product and, and, and move the product from one machine to another and do... Um, you know, data collection. And, and back in, in the early days, it consisted of, I mean, we used a radar gun and we used very primitive <laughs> race pack type uh, monitors that were, man, it, it was pretty primitive back then. And, yeah. and, and so we would supply that data to these manufacturers to, to let them know kind of how things worked and then work to help refine these products and get them to work better at you know, our altitude, because there just wasn't a lot of development being done at high altitude. Right. So. And on an, another podcast, <laughs> we're talking about like the thing with your stuff is at altitude, like you're saying, it's flawless. And like with the 9R, we're, we did a debate like 9R versus boost. It's like for me, a Vogue tune sled at, you know, in our conditions at 10,000 feet, there's nothing that's going to beat that, in my opinion. And so that just goes out to that. So, how long until you started working with Polaris? Well, I've got a question before you get to that because you were mentioning like Speedworks and D&D &D and those companies in the Midwest, but you're the Western guy. Like, is that how you, like, you're known as the Western tuner or what? Uh, what's well, that relationship I, I, I when like you're working that way? I like to think about those relationships as, as more of a partnership yeah. than, than a competitor. I mean, I, I prefer that uh, that context to the relationship, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And I think that it's mutually beneficial, right? So Absolutely. A, a lot of good came from the relationships, say, with a company like Speedworks, for instance, or, yep. um, you know, we, we helped them develop many products through the years that um, that help advance their product, and then we would sell that product. And, and yep. so that's, that was kind of, that's kind of an interesting direction to, to go. We originally didn't mean for Vogue to be that. Vogue was a compensatory structure that was created so that we could differentiate ourselves from alpine motorsports yep and not uh <clears throat> not have any um 
direct connection to the dealership, if you will. Yeah, especially with warranty stuff and yeah, so we, far. It was yeah. very important to, to have these these this be a separate entity. And <clears throat> and so that's how Vogue was made. Vogue was uh was a a term that a friend uh, well, friends, close friends used to call me that because that was the proper German pronunciation of my last name, which is spelled W-O-O-G. Right. And the phonetic spelling was V-O-H-K. And, and in, in, in German um, proper, a W is a hard V, and B. A G is a hard K, and two O's are long. So that's how Vogue came to be. That's that. Uh, but, but like I said, it wasn't until later, you know, like we, we got some notoriety through some presence on ESPN and X Games stuff and, and is that where it really popped off for you, you think? I don't it was probably more uh, companies and affiliations with like Sledheads twenty four seven doing gotcha. a lot of episodes with those guys and then uh, uh, Sled T V. Uh, I had worked as the chief technical advisor in, in various capacities for um, geez, even at, at uh, early on when Snow West was beginning their forum work, we'd work together to help them guys and and just kind of worked as a technical advisor and, and did some tech segments for, for for various entities and and began to get recognized for the, you know, for that side of things. And people look to me for honest advice. I've always been one that's been very honest and, and very upfront. If something didn't work, I would let you know. And if something worked, I would let you know. And a lot of people didn't want to, uh, you know, have to think too much about sorting through that quagmire of BS that's out there. Yeah. And there's a lot. I mean, it still is a prevalent. No, I know. I was telling AJ that... <laughs> I was talking to Aiden, and he's talking about some venting. And I'm like, if you guys think it's worth it, I 100% trust you guys because I know that you're not just BSing. Yeah, we don't – I mean, one of the things that I despise in this industry is people that sell product just for this, the sake of selling product or to make money right. and, and haven't really done the diligence to test whether or not this product is advantageous. And I hate to see people spend money on things that don't work. It, well, and it's, it's, so ex- it's so easy for them to get exposure now with social media and oh, the Internet is, and everything like that. They, yeah, yeah. They, they, and yeah, they can truly, <laughs> they, they can truly kind of make things up and and get get some people to promote it and yep. and you know, bomb. They, they're just they're out there selling this product and it's not even a thing, you know. Like, I, I, one I, good influencer and right. it's going to go to more I, people I, than I, I get a kick out of some of it. Like like there was a, a device out there that came out when the twenty two boost came out and it was like a a device to stop the inlet tube to the turbo from collapsing, <laughs> as though that was creating the bog scenario in boost okay. and, and, and nothing could have been like it, it, it took like nine tenths of a pound or so of negative air pressure to we, we did a bunch of testing on that <laughs> to, to actually draw that tube down dimensionally and and so under no circumstances could the vehicle ever achieve that level of negative air pressure right there uh, before it entered into a bog anyway so it only takes about three tenths of a pound of negative air pressure at that point to create the bog so the machine would bog long before the tube would ever collapse. But yet these things were sold yeah. out there. Like like this was a real thing. Yeah, it's the and fix. It's yeah, as, <laughs> yeah. as though it would affect and, and and so those those types of things irritate me because people A, either they they don't know and they do the, they they do testing, but it's not empirical, it's not it's not data driven. We we spend uh, an enormous amount of time collecting thousands of hours of data on all of these things and, right. and working with you know manufacturers and 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 with our own tools to to collect all this data and see what's really going on to solve these problems and 
and and that's that's really been what's defined us as a company i think over right. the years too i agree well that's what the name stands behind you know it is. when you know it when is. you buy from folk that that's what you're getting yeah. with it you know is the the time has been put in and not just the time in a shop and not the time put in a shop in the midwest it's been yeah. done at elevation tested on snow yep. and not not all yeah. computer so how did how did you get into like the technical tuning side like <laughs> was that did you go to school for that or what how did that happen yeah no, that seems actually, a little bit complicated my, my schooling background was in sound reinforcement actually so hmm. it had nothing really to do with the tuning side of things it that uh, that was a consequence of just being driven over 30 plus years of so it's just hard knocks and yeah learning and Dang. and working with guys that uh that knew and and always you know I, i've always been a a bit of a sponge to, to, you know, to, to learning. And, uh, as, as we developed as an industry and pushed more and more into EFI, early EFI, you know, Arctic cat was a pioneer in early EFI. And <clears throat> that's when I started to learn about, you know, different types of fuel management, things like, you know, alpha N or speed density and, and kind of the early EFIs that, that were, that were utilized and what, what that all meant. And, and as we, as as I formed a partnership with Boondocker, uh, another you know industry leader in, in terms of just being on the cutting edge of things, and uh, as, as, as we all sort of learned together in this, and and uh, as we push more and more into uh, into that space, you just you you can't not learn. And right, you well, I mean I guess you can not learn, but we chose to push harder. So. Out of my curiosity, when do you think there was a turning point going from carburetor to fuel injection that it was a major benefit in the snowmobile side? Because it's not a new thing, but I feel like with it making leaps and bounds and strides in the snowmobile industry, it's a fairly, fairly new technology that's finally like starting to be able to make true power with it. Uh, that's a tough one too. I mean, early EFI systems started as early as 1989, really. Young. Yep. And and. <clears throat> those systems were really primitive. I mean, uh, uh, embarrassingly <laughs> primitive. Yes, very. But <laughs> it was, I think, that the batteryless EFI stuff in the in the mid '90s that Arctic Cat developed on the, like the Powder Special product yep. was was really revolutionary, and and that employed a, a lot of technologies that we still use. Though we have way more sensor sensory data now, yep. and we're able to react to you know to, to a lot more different scenarios where those early units didn't do that but uh i would say that that's when when it started to prove its merit and okay. the advantages to efi versus carburetor but there were still trade-offs right yep. where carburetors allowed for better adjustment and tunability yep. in the hands of you know most of your backyard guys and, and i think that's you know one of the things that's held back even like you see that in the motocross side too, yeah. right? Yep. It's particularly in two-stroke where a lot of companies, some companies have pushed into into EFI where other ones have held back because, you know, carburetor allows you to, to be able to tune a little bit more Absolutely. freely for guys. But the the, the, the the engine management that we're dealing with now, there's so many different parameters that are adjustable. You can do remarkable things with that. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And particularly as applied to turbo, right? We're, right. Controlling, we're controlling a lot more than just, you know, fuel and timing, right? There's literally thousands and thousands of correction tables that we interact with to try to achieve, you know, the, the result we're trying to achieve. And so right. it's, it's, it's intense 
work for sure. But I don't know. Like I, I don't know how to answer that question. I would say that the aftermarket turbo industry that started largely. I mean, we we released a turbo in October of two thousand four at the Denver Snow Show. That was a it was a, a project funded by the executive producer of Sled TV. Okay, and he wanted to build a a mountain turbo, and so we we cobbled this thing together, and it was an M seven and. <laughs> Thing ended up being notorious around the West. It was super fast and ultra volatile. We blew that. <laughs> we blew that slut up. I don't know how many times we 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 had incorporated every kind of. I mean, we even had like an automotive timing module that would reduce timing, you know, ignition timing as it built boost. And it was this, this giant thing that we like bolted to the fender to try to do it. And, and car, you know, like a car. Uh, an adaptation of a of, of a car EFI that would read boost and, and add and we you know had these it's primitive dials. It, it was yeah. terrible. It was awful. But uh, Weight we, savings. we even added yeah. we even added methanol injection to that unit. <laughs> nice. And we, we took a like a like a a windshield washer bottle and pump <laughs> and a little uh dial-a-jet. Like yeah, people won't yep. even remember what that is in dial a jet and we yep. put the little pump into the dial a jet and shot it right in the front of the turbo <laughs> and it was a water methanol mix wow. and, and, I, and, and it worked it worked great yeah. until the tank would get a little bit too empty and then you would lean over and you were relying on that because the boost <laughs> settings that you might have had and, and the thing would blow up violently <laughs> yeah. we, didn't have, we didn't have debt control systems back then mm. so it was awful that's funny because uh, we were just talking about that 2004 right we're doing that in like uh, fall of 2004 and an OEM just released water methanol injection on an OEM turbo. Right. Screw yeah. this year. That's that's funny. Wow. So so all these things are kind of coming to roost, but they're able to do it because we have just so much better technology. You know? Right. We know what we needed and we know what we wanted, but we couldn't get there. So it wasn't until the OEMs got into this game with boosted sleds that they that we were able to make these strides and controlling, yep. you know, boost across a variety of different altitudes and conditions and and getting the runnability that we all desired and and you know, we were approaching that, but it, it it wasn't it wasn't easy, and we didn't have all the tools. Yeah, when and I started when I started getting stuff from you was twenty eighteen or nineteen. Mm -hmm. You guys put a Sidekick Turbo. Yeah, yeah, dude, I didn't want to go away from that thing. That was I'm great, like, there's literally nothing that's gonna run that good. Yeah, and now, bingo, we those, got yeah, stuff. those Sidekicks were yeah. were really good. They just, uh, you know, as as you went up and boost, you you started to push against different parameters that you just couldn't easily deal with and it created runnability issues but the uh yeah the pump gas stuff worked great and, yeah and so yeah now what we're able to do and what the power that we're able to achieve with you know modern intercooler offerings and things like that is it's scary just, it's remarkable so. so speak on this a little bit i've had people ask me to go up in power with your tunes why like explain it to just a normal person why do you need avgas well the utilization of higher octane fuels is is beneficial for a number of reasons. It it's easier to control detonation. You can use less of the fuel, uh, drowning the detonation events, and more of the fuel, um, creating a more vigorous combustion event. And and so it's a more efficient way to make power um, using a higher octane fuel. And and the at, at, with a boosted sled at higher pressures, the capture and compressions go up, and so then does the volatility in the combustion chamber and the tendency for it to detonate. And so you have to pay special attention using straight lower octane fuels like what's available in pump gas 
you end up ultimately using a lot of the fuel, like I said, to drown detonation and making massive swings at, at ignition timing, which costs power and, right. and all in the name of, uh, of, of controlling that, that detonation. And so, so you can, you can build reasonably big power. People don't know this maybe, but you can build pretty big power on 91. You just, you, you wouldn't have any range on your fuel. So, Ranges in it would just take so much. Yes, yeah. you, you can you can do it, but your range drops by fifty percent. Shoot! So you could you can make a sled run pretty well on pump gas at fairly high boost, but you'll end up with a tank of fuel that lasts twenty five miles, <laughs> if that. Yeah, Can't go far. So, like a fighter jet just dumping fuel. Yeah, in where you know we're using hundred. And one of the reasons why I think a lot of guys favor hundred LL is is the smell. The, Sure. <laughs> um, hundred is a is a widely available fuel that's consistent in terms of, um, it's well. There's there's different metrics that they and I don't want to get into the chemistry, but different metrics they measure fuel on like knock index, motor octane, pump into uh, pump uh, pump octane, uh, research octane, and, and 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 a host of other things. And and the, one of the the uniquely good things about hundred LL isn't necessarily that it's the most ideal fuel, but it's the most consistent and available fuel. Gotcha. And, and so when, you know, when tuners build tunes for, you know, for, for, for athletes that are out in various different parts of the country, it's, it's nice to know that they can go to, you know, to, to any place and, 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 and acquire that. So Get consistent fuel. Consistently. And, and where, where race fuels tend to be, uh, you know, your average race fuel offerings aren't wildly consistent and, um, you know, like you're talking VP stuff or Sunoco. Well, it isn't just that. It's sure. It's it's all of them, really. Um, gotcha. Any the, race the, fuel the, brand. All, all yeah. race fuel yeah. brands are. Uh, Rich, Rich Daly's a a great asset to our industry and talks a lot about the differences in fuels and how and and how inconsistent they are, even right from the suppliers. And, gotcha. And and though there's certainly benefits to running uh, even higher octane fuels that are available from you know those aforementioned companies, there's reasons why it's, you know, it's, it's inconsistent. The closer you get to an edge, the knifier it, it gets and the harder it gets to control things, you know? Right. <clears throat> and so the idea is to have something that's, you know, that's widespread available and easy to tune with and to, and, and it, it eliminates one of the variables that, you know, that tuners fight and that's fuel consistency, consistency right? You can, you could test five different one tens and, and you're going to find out that all five of them will have different everything from specific gravities to, to research octane or whatever. So Well, and for you, for your aspect, that's got to make it a lot easier knowing that when you sell a tune that runs 100 LL, that it's going to be a consistent across the board for sure. that tune right. yeah. to where otherwise if someone's buying a cheap 110 race fuel and they're mixing it with 91 or something, or they're mixing it at the proper ratio or whatever to get it to that straight right. 100, so you know? Some of our guys, you know, we'll have hill climbers that are, at, you know, one race here or another race there and are wildly different altitudes or different yep. parts of the country or even different countries altogether. Yes. And so we've got guys that, you know, are all over the place. Yeah. Uh, I went to a race over in Sweden and mm-hmm. that was something that blew my mind that like their fuel is garbage over mm-hmm. there. I mean, we yeah. didn't expect to have that. And that was the first year of fuel injection on the Articat race sled. Mm-hmm. And we fought that for a yeah. week when we got over there because we had finally ironed all those issues out here in the U.S., and then we got over there for Clash of Nations, and that was, you know, yeah. we didn't have any of our engineers from um, Articat at the time over there with us, and there was, you know, trying to, we were mixing, like, paint thinners and stuff <laughs> in Sweden <laughs> with the fuel. Yeah, 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 to make it, common. To, to get it 
potent enough to run with the yeah. the tuning for, that we for had. For many years, we mixed uh, <laughs> we mixed up various concoctions, including um, toluene. Yep, yep. And, and toluene, I think, is a I don't remember what the natural octane is of toluene, but it, it's definitely a, a viable yes, <clears throat> a viable option. It was quite good, but uh, certainly not not feasible not, to not, be doing. Yeah, well, it's just it's it's really hard to stay consistent. That's one of the reasons why we do what exactly. We do. But, you know, for the majority of the riders out there, I think that pump gas, you know, like the guys that are running public land and, and stuff, they, you know, they, they, they run pump gas and, and they do that. Uh, and so they're looking for the most out of pump gas. And we are able to, to get some pretty good results. Yep. Yeah. So Even intercooled. So. so I was, <clears throat> a lot of people on, we talk about Vogue on the podcast a lot. What, when it comes from, you have your stock boost. Mm-hmm. what would you say the first step up, second step up, and then third step up when it comes to performance? Like third step being like, I want the baddest, you know, sled on the hill, and then something mid-range for guys, and then something that's just a little bit better, you know, a little bit more reliable. Yeah, well, reliable yeah, that's, than that's, that's another thing. Uh, we have really focused our, our pump gas tuning at, at, at being better overall runnability. And, and so by that I mean more consistent, less Last detonation, uh, I can say that last year with the factory tuning, it left a little on the table um, because of the amount of debt correction that was being experienced. And so that, that cost reliability as well. And My brother was, said every time full open, it pre-debt or max debt. Right, max debt, yeah. yeah. So so a lot of people saw that when the flash came out. And and I, I have to be somewhat guarded with respect to what I say uh, to, to not compromise any relationships, but I can say that with the brake recall that included the 847 flash, it, in, in my opinion, was undesirable runnability, and, and it's resulted in a lot of detonation and um, some reed breakage and ultimately some piston failures really? that were that's on bone stock machines. That so that's just they leaned it out too much? There, there were there were holes in it for sure, and 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 it wasn't at all altitudes either, and that's something that is very important to remember. Is that I could qualify that saying that was particularly at higher altitudes and particularly in certain scenarios, um, and particularly on on oxygenated fuels that that would that are using you know like guys that are running ten percent ethanol, which is about all you can get in our area. That they're even worse, and and so those ethanol fuels are are uh, I mean I've we were able to get along with them well. We just spent more time focused on those spots and fixing that. So, so our tune improved that. Improved your pump gas tune. Yeah, improved that so that you you weren't running into those detonation issues, and you had smoother power delivery, and more robust at times. And other times when it needed to be pulled back, we we pull them back. Oh, so it, it it is a matter of kind of finding your way through that. It's not as simple as just. Yeah, it was what you might imagine. You know, I'll just turn the boost off. Uh, you can't really. It <laughs> yeah. depends on the heat. It depends. You know, these motors don't don't love to take in hot air, and the more heat soaked things get, um, you know, we can kind of manipulate the way we deliver fuel. Um, we favor certain injectors that have a cooling effect, or you know, that might be better, um, and 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 certain timing profiles and different blending with regard to how we open and close power valves and things like that, and wastegates and control different different things and, and, and we can make them less, um, you know, less likely to, to manifest those detonation events or, or better at, at delivering power, depending on, you know, 
the conditions. So. so so first thing you would say, get the pump gas tune for runnability, then where do you go? Yeah, I, I, I would say that if you had a 23 running 847, you're committing an act of cruelty running that <laughs> yeah. vehicle on a stock yeah. tune. Yeah. I, sorry, guys. Well, that's and that's the truth. That's yeah. the beauty yeah, of truth. aftermarket tuning is you are able to spend the time and really develop that aspect of it where I feel like when players put that out with the brake recall, that's more what they are focusing on than actually correcting the issues with yeah, I their, think, I their mean, fuel. They, they were trying really hard to give everybody everything they could. Yep. yep. And and responding to the issue with the you know with the brake. Um, and, and and frankly, people shouldn't ride around with their brake on anyway. <laughs> first and, place. and it was really sad that <laughs> that they had to go to that measure yep. to keep people from starting their sluds on fire. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean it's it seems um it seems counterintuitive to drive around with your with your brake on, but people do it. And sluds start on fire. And, and that's yeah. been happening since snowmobiles were invented, yes. pretty much. Well, since snowmobiles with any power were invented. So, yeah, that's that, that was unfortunate. I, I hated to see all of that. But we we do, uh, that's another thing. You know, some people don't want to deal with that. So we, we can kind of push things around a little bit and make that a little bit easier to deal with those thresholds and yep. and stay stay safe. And, yep. and that's that's pretty important. So, And um, then speak on the non-intercooled Avgas tune. Yeah, so, well, people wanted to push... Um, particularly to, to have a little bit more power. And we, we found that we were able to create a lot more power. So yeah. by that, um, you know, at times that, that, that tune will push, um, upwards of 30 horsepower more, even 40 horsepower actually. Um, and to realize good. a 40 horsepower gain without <laughs> doing anything but adding different fuel and tuning. Um, it fuel is tuning and clutching. They need fuel right. tuning and clutching. Yeah. yeah. And That's you, significant. Yeah. Um, and, and. And there again, that's pushing towards, you, you know, you're you're trying to navigate through temperature problems that that exist as you turn boost up, right? Um, and that's just a natural consequence of compressing air, and the, uh, and so so you're you know you're kind of pushing towards edges and finding the ceiling and all of that. But we we were surprised at the results, and so that's a really good package. And then really good. And then uh, uh, of course, when you push into intercooled, that allows you to do a couple things. You can, you can pair intercooling, intercooling with pump gas and and you can realize a pretty significant gain and you can pair an intercooler with, with uh, higher octane fuels and, and really, really push. And some guys like to keep a lower boost intercooled scenario that produces a sled that's pretty predictable, runs really good all the time. You don't have to worry about longevity. It's, something that you know it is the right fit for certain people and other people just like man if i'm gonna put an intercooler on there turn that thing up as far as yeah can. so so we'll push into as, as much as we can on that and and uh you know and that's that's putting us up there to where we can comfortably get 100 horsepower you know, that's uh that's a <laughs> that's no a small that's not a small thing man we're on a machine able, that light yeah that's a lot of yeah. power we're able to uh yeah, we're able to push that envelope yeah. where and 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 honestly, we, we've a, a lot of us that were involved in uh, turboing the early Arctic Cat product yep. knew what that sort of power was. <laughs> yeah, we were able to get over three hundred horse and out of an eight hundred. And uh, I mean, I know that we we were able to to see uh, the thousand or big bore thousand stuff like the twelve hundred CCs with like the thirty eighty twos on them. Yep, we we would. We would push those things intercooled over 400 horsepower. Wow, I mean, that's incredible! Yeah, that was some stuff that Glenn Hall used to ride, and 
D&D used to build. It yep, was just yep. crazy fast. And so it's, we've we've not had any product that would that would approach that kind of power un, until the newer boost though. Until recently yep. with well, the newer boost. I think that's what's cool is I mean, think of the amount of aftermarket parts that you're putting on that sled to get to that power and now you're looking at doing that with a sled that is virtually, I yeah, mean, pretty stock, stock yeah, pretty yeah, stock, it really is, and yeah. you're able to push it almost 300 for a few few grand, really. Yeah, and know? I think that I think the important thing to note is that we're not breaking parts doing it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. It's reliable. Yeah. yeah, we used to break a lot of parts. Yeah, and, and a reliable 300 horsepower sled is <laughs> right. pretty crazy to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, insane. And especially when you throw some, you know, some money at some lightweight parts, and you know, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of carbon fiber offerings out there. There's a lot of titanium that you know really makes a big difference in, in dynamically how the sled acts and responds to that kind of power. So and now we have, you know, I I, I was just thinking about the sled progression and some Roger Skym said to me one time, I think we were up in West Yellowstone and, and, and we were all talking about deep snow. It snowed a bunch up there. Yep. And and I, I was advocating for for bigger and bigger tracks and <laughs> Roger said, You damn guys won't be happy till you have a a paddle wheel on the back of those things. <laughs> yeah. I thought, well, I don't know about a paddle wheel. And, and here we are. We're, we're we're OEM offering a three two five track. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's getting it's getting pretty cool, getting pretty real. But it's true that traction really matters. And when you mate that traction to the kinds of power we're talking about, yes, it's, it's crazy fun. Um, and, yeah, it went. It seemed like a couple years ago, everything was going longer and longer and mm-hmm. longer. You saw like people riding one seventy fours. Yeah, they're getting more agile, yeah. so they could push the track length and now everyone's going shorter well to do yeah there's, there's and two re-entries groups of people and, there right like i think you're seeing a, a kind of a a little bit of a separation in terms of the the rider groups you, and, and i think that's one of the coolest things about snowmobiling in general snowmobiling is so many different things to so many different people right right, right. like some people ride for different reasons and, and 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 just to the guys out there listening have respect for these different rider groups because they're all having a good time. Some guys yeah. like trails. Some guys like to bang hills all day. But but that that group's even fracturing more into, you know, like like a good friend of mine, Chris Brand, everybody knows, right? He's a huge advocate of the 62, really, really plays in the steep stuff and loves that. Um, that's not for everybody, right? That's yeah. just not. Some guys, uh, I, the bulk of the machines we sell are 155s. Right, and and, a, and and the majority of those people have no interest in doing what Chris does. Right, correct. So, um, so they're banging around on fifty fives because they want to be able to get in the steep stuff, and be not incompetent, right? right. But they want to have some fun doing just exactly what you're talking about. Right. And now there's this new group of guys emerging that are, I mean, they're going to be a hoot to watch. So, <laughs> so man, so just just uh, sit back and, yeah. and hold your beer, you know, because this is going to get fun. <laughs> These guys are building big power on one forty six stuff. <laughs> and, and they're going to do stuff that, that's never been done before. And I think Kasteriki has, yeah, has really pushed people into looking at that kind of that kind of stuff. Going, wow, you can do some really cool stuff as we lighten these things up and have more power, shorter tracks, more traction, bigger paddles. Right. Um, man, it's going to be fun. So yeah, I Talk, think the next couple of years are going to be really cool. It's going to be sweet. Like we were talking about with the 146 like intercool thing. Mm-hmm. Like to me. It's like, oh, it's going to be unrideable. It's like, yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, I'm not trying to pull gnarly tree, you know, tree lines or anything. I'm just trying to go out and have a smile on my face all day. So right. So in a so, meadow. So, yeah, in a meadow. Well, <laughs> you can make everything Ouch. look hard when when it's that. I, I always tease about that. Like I, I'll, I'll, you know, people are like, you know, when when you're videoing sometimes and you're trying to create content on a snowmobile, you're you're uh, you, you don't necessarily have to find the steepest terrain. You can. You know, let let all the air out of your rear 
shock and <laughs> yep. turn your arc off yeah. and turn your boost up and, <laughs> yeah. man you're going to make that meadow look like it's really tough yep. and 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 so there, there's a lot of that right um and, and i think that the important thing is like because the guys that are like like the brant guys that are 62 guys that like to get serious and that steep stuff they they, they want to like pick fun of the guys that are riding the 55s or 46s now. right and yep. and they're, but they're not interested in doing that so yep. it isn't it isn't like that it, it shouldn't be that weird that weird friction man i'll like ha- have fun doing what you want to do yeah and then these guys down there um you know that you're making fun of are having equally as much fun if not more if fun. not more fun yeah, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. so be careful so the so the modern kind of bow tie pirouetting and you know re-entry stuff that's getting done is it, it's an art in itself and, right and, and i mean I, I, the irony of it is that chris sort of invented that yeah, as he pushed into the hop over to begin with, right, and and as that happened, people you know took it a different direction. And yeah, I, and I think it's awesome. He's still doing it. He's still really good at it. He's he at the is, forefront, and he's, and he's doing like, it on one sixty. One sixty. So he so uses it. He uses it as a move to get where he wants to go. Yeah. He it doesn't use tool. it as a trick. It's and a if tool you've exactly. Ever rode yeah, with yeah, him yeah. In his terrain, in his snow. I mean, he's got incredibly steep terrain. Yeah. And, and and the snow is is bottomless, like sugary type snow. Yeah. So so the fifty fives are largely ineffective. Yes. You know, like I went down there with a fifty five and I had to use I mean not my arc cranked and my rear shot cranked. <laughs> but I, I was able to do all right and I'm not yep. saying I there's a video that uh Kisturki wrote with him last year mm-hmm. and went out there. And Barant could just pull these lines straight up the thing, yeah. and and Kisturgi's like, yes. I cannot get up. Yeah, I mean, he's he's just as good oh, doing the flop. And yeah, the, he'll get there. Yeah, it, it it is. It's just a different kind of game, right? And it's cool though. It's cool it that like people but, can do but, different styles. But I don't styles. think one's better than the other. It right. really boils down to what you guys want to do, man. Yeah. What you enjoy. At the end of the day, have fun. Why are we doing this? Why do we do this? Don't ever lose sight of the main thing. Yeah, we do this because it's a blast. It's exactly. It's what we like to do, right? Right. Yep. So so don't make don't make fun of guys for whatever it is they're doing, man. They're doing it because they like that, and that's their fun. And yeah. it's okay to have their fun, right? Right. So so I I I just. I just want to embrace them all, love them all, and, and make them all fast if that's what they want to do. <laughs> yeah. right? So that's kind of our mission statement. Everybody should be smiling, and if everybody's smiling, that's that's the main thing. So right, dude. I'm gonna be day. smiling if I'm not <laughs> mouse trapped. <laughs> yeah. yeah, help yeah. me. Oh, it's gonna shoot out from underneath itself. Oh, I'm that's sure that's what it's gonna do. But you'll get used to managing that, and then you'll find out that that can be a tool. Right, and that, and then it'll enable you to do some things that you didn't, you couldn't before. You know, you couldn't do. Right. You know? I, I think of like uh, when, when we started doing the intercooler stuff and Chase, one of my guys, uh, everybody probably knows Chase Bunting, but he uh, he, he got on the intercooler <laughs> and the first like hopovers he did and the thing just shot out from underneath him and landed and he's like, whoa, that was crazy. And then he started doing it intentionally and using it as a right. tool. And I'm like, oh. Even huh. even pump to avgas, it, mm-hmm. it, it's coming around way faster. Way faster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything's coming faster at you. Yeah, it does, and yeah. that, that's what your uh, your margin of error. Like like Chase was pretty good at managing that. He's pretty accurate, you know. And and but your margin of error, the time that you have to react to that is much shorter. <laughs> yeah. So you have less. Yeah, you have less margin for error. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, know. and then you take track away, and like I rode a one forty six in a last winter, and it's amazing how fast you have to maneuver everywhere. Yeah. To where then that speeds up how fast you have to be on the sled, right. and then also you yeah. go to do a reentry hop over something, 
and it speeds up how fast your feet work has to be versus <laughs> you know the sled compared to a 55 or 65 right, in that yeah. aspect no that's so a where, fact right yeah and you get and you get you know some of us that get stuck in a or, or doing a hop over now we get about one out of every three done right and, <laughs> and, yes. and, and without that it's it's like the scissor you know you're like you can't do that fast enough no. when you have real power and all that stuff. yeah it's true you, you, you need less power so. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, that's kind of funny but uh, no it's it's a blast it's cool to see where it's all going and and we keep pushing and we're you know, you know with no intent to stop for sure. So, yeah. quick question: What do you think the uh, the future is in the fact of electric? Oh, you think well, that's not even electric? <laughs> what's what's the future that you think of snowmobiling? I mean, we've seen where well, it's went from really NA exciting. to Boost, there's and nothing, is it electric or is there there's something nothing wrong with that and entertaining yeah. that? I've been involved with a company that I, we that you know now is maybe that cat's out of the bag and it's okay. I uh, I was an early investor in a company called Hypercraft, and okay. Hypercraft originally was conceived to create a uh, a very lightweight boutique electric snowmobile that was going to be primarily carbon fiber and titanium and boasting a 300 horsepower wow. motor Jeez. that uh, unfortunately or fortunately it was going to end up costing more than, than, <laughs> than most people than we thought we could come to market which yeah. is going to render a unit that was probably going to be you know, an entry level cost of around eighty thousand dollars. <laughs> wow, that's not bad. <laughs> and, uh, more like a hundred if you really wanted what you wanted. And, Jesus. Yeah. and so these hundred thousand dollars snowmobiles, we 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 started to back off and wonder if we would actually do that. I don't know. We you never know. We might still. Mm. Yeah. But Hypercraft has since pushed into other spaces and and is in like trophy trucks, right? Trophy trucks and, and in uh, the Sierra car. Yeah, that was uh, Ken Block's daughter driving yeah, that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah Leah. Yeah, that's and, awesome. And so the so so it's really cool to see the the Sierra car stuff. Cool man. Yeah, and and we're involved with Sierra Car as well. Um, and Volk, you'll see Volk Performance and Sierra Car entering into a partnership soon. So that's very awesome. cool. That's very cool stuff. Cool. But uh, yeah, so the Hypercraft stuff's cool. And and is electric viable? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, it, it offers some real advantages, right? They run at any altitude. Right. They produce torque is crazy. They, they produce crazy power even yeah. when they're under snow. No more bogging. You know, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't bog. <laughs> yeah. no, none of that. No noise. Right. Um, so so that's that's kind of like favorable to the environmental groups that consider snowmobiles to be uh eco-terrorists yeah um, yeah and and to that i would say and i don't know how you are in your podcast but i would push that narrative that guys be careful because this whole like concept of having loud yeah, exhausts yeah. is, yes. is very destructive for the industry and, yeah and you might think it's cool for your buds to be noisy and whatever but it's hurting everybody it's closing riding areas and and it's 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 attracting attention that we don't need Yep. to do that so no well, all of the offerings we offer as you know uh, are very quiet quiet yep. as stock and 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 that's just critically important i think but electric does offer that advantage it does but uh but the, the problem is <clears throat> electric is is reliant on batteries and batteries hate cold and you know yep. i see that iphone sitting over there <laughs> yeah yeah and, and <laughs> i know and like those they, iphones work in the winter yeah <laughs> they don't a little bit he's a hater on iphone or no these Apple. samsung's though man I don't know what they put in these things. They just work all day. <laughs> they they burn diesel. <laughs> they, burn, <laughs> they smoke. They smoke. Black yeah. smoke comes out every now and then. Diesel burner. <laughs> yeah. Rolling coal. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, well, the battery yeah. thing's a huge issue. Like even in the car side of things, sure. and they're like, "Well, it doesn't affect it. We can put battery heaters on." It. I'm yeah, like, sure. "Then what are the battery heaters running off of?" Right. Right. So, so 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 it's all a matter of, you know, we we talk about that like with with clutching every power generating component whether it's an engine or a motor, 
it only generates X number of units of energy, right? Right. Yep. You can waste that energy creating, say, say for instance, when we're clutching, we're, we're always trying to find that, that perfect balance of how much energy we want to waste squeezing the hell out of the belt and, or not, right? And if we, if we don't squeeze the belt enough, we, we lose the energy and heat. Right. Which then creates belt failures and things like yep. that. Yep. And, but if we over squeeze that belt, we might manage belt failures and heat, but we've wasted mechanical energy squeezing the belt, right? Right. So, so, so similarly in, in the electric world, you know, y- y- how much energy do you want to, to, to put off doing that, right? So there's, the, heat energy is, is still an energy and it's still a unit being spent. Right. So there's a finite amount of it. Right. And that's it. So, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a tough game, but I, I honestly, you ask about the future way down the road. I think <clears throat> if common sense and good judgment are the guiding which variables. isn't always the case <laughs> not the case I'm, I'm qualifying this saying <laughs> yeah. that if we were to do what was right for both the environment and for for the industries moving forward to have viable technology that works in across all both power sports and, and automobile segments i i would say it's hydrogen yeah, yeah. i've heard that i've yeah. heard that from I mean, a lot of people it's it's the yeah. most sensible solution it's readily available it's probably uh, probably the biggest roadblocks that we'll run into would be um, uh, well, powers that that be that profit from yeah. either fossil fuels yep. or even f- from energy subsidies involving electric energy subsidization, um, that they'll probably resist hydrogen pretty significantly. Yeah, and so you can uh, see unless that. there's enough money in it, I don't know that it has a future. <laughs> but yeah. it should. Yeah. What a shame! It's the best. Yeah, it 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 offers so many advantages. I've heard a lot of engineers in the car side of things that say like they they don't think electric will ever get to that point. They think hydrogen will come in behind it and sweep it off its feet. It, it should rightfully. Yeah, I mean the, the the math and engineering side of it works out that way too. And right. And 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 the fact that that most modern, well, if if you're going to be honest about it in, in the discourse, you'd have to consider that all the equipment that's out there that people have spent obscene amounts of money on, um, it, even two-stroke is, is capable of being converted to hydrogen. Really? So, wow. And, okay. and viably so. And, and if technology was to develop that or subsidies were to exist in that segment, y- you could, um, this is from a guy that might know a little bit about it. <laughs> you, can, you can do this. We right. could do this. We That's could awesome. clean this up if if the real concern was oxygen, hydrogen, hydrogen carbon, hydrogen output. Yep. Mm. Um, or hydrocarbon output. I'm sorry. Um, we we could do we could do it. We can do it. We okay. Do it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We I've do heard it. that before. If the governments <laughs> will allow that to be, because I I'm I'm even invested if in you, a hydrogen company. Is that right? And that huh. you know it was doing really well there for a year, and then it tanked. Like it's been about two years now. That it's been tanking because you could see that shift of it going down. They're trying to push it down. It seems. I, I think if if there were half as much investment, even a third as much investment, in both effort and money, yep. put towards hydrogen development, yep. it would so surpass electric. It wouldn't. And 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 I think that I mean not to invoke the words of Elon Musk, but he, he did, he did, he did say himself that the, that the concept of electrifying transportation as a whole completely is, is nothing short of a pipe dream. It's yeah. not possible. Yep. You, you, you don't have the capacity to produce enough electricity to electrify transportation and, and you're and some three, I think 3000 times, not percent, 3000 times deficient. Wow. Like that's like a concept that I, I don't even know that we can can't even easily, bring that to yeah, yeah. you yeah. can't explain that so, yeah. so like i don't really know what what does that mean you 
what, what that means is we should have been producing, if we were going to focus on electrifying all transportation, including, you know, power sports, but by, by and large, you know, trucking and transportation yep. in general, um, you would have had to have been producing hundreds of nuclear power plants starting 30 years ago. Yep. And then right. in a year. Improving your grid to yeah. get that you power can, to those places. That's why yep. these, these, uh, these states that have pushed into that, like California and whatnot, I think that's a ridiculous notion and it, yep. it'll fail miserably. I mean, the, it already does. They can't even keep their air conditioners on <laughs> and they yeah. want you to drive electric Brown cars. Yep. It's yeah. foolish. Well, now they claim that you can power your house with your electric car. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, as long real. as you don't drive your car. Yeah, for real. Yep. Right? So, the, thing, the thing that I don't know about, like on the automotive and the snowmobile thing, back when this was all invented, like the car was invented, if it was electric, I think it would work great because that was the best thing available. But what I'm wondering hmm. is for you with your diesel truck, and I'm telling you to buy an electric truck, yet you can't get to your riding zone and back confidently on one charge pulling a trailer in the cold. Are you really willing to do that? And the problem is if you're not willing to do that, how is the, these companies going to fund further research to make something that, unless the government funds it again, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. make something that you are going to be confident in that? And that's the thing is like, to me, going to an electric vehicle, you're going back in time, or an electric snowmobile, you're going back in time where... Like you're taking, t well, I know a lady that took 12 hours to get from Craig to Salt Lake in the cold because she kept having electric problems. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, that would have been cool when you're on horse and buggy. <laughs> but now that I have a truck that I have no, an 800 very, mile range, point, you know what I'm saying? People, like, don't, they, people don't want to talk about that. No, they, they don't. Yeah, and, and, and even guys like I've, we've all had exposure now to electric stuff, right? I've, I mean, it's, it's impressive the yeah. types of performance that you can get. The lightning's quick. I mean, I was in a Tesla this summer that just blew me away. Um, right. You know. Well, and, and I think there's great technology, in it, especially in like power tools and even in the chainsaws and mm -hmm. you know stuff yeah. like that. Like there is places for it, but I don't think it's necessarily a place. I, there is some places it's not for. And it. and to probably just you know put the exclamation point on this and 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 finish the conversation yeah, regarding yeah. electric. I don't I don't think that it's environmentally as 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 advantageous as it's said to be. I think that yep. the you know the, the as as is discussed. You know, maybe before on many other podcasts, the, the mining and, and, and the gathering of, of lithium and development of the batteries and, and, and the metals that are involved in creating the, you know, the, 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 the motors and neodymium and things that are required right. for that. It's, it's, uh, it, it takes an enormous amount. It's a, the carbon footprint is, is hideous that it takes to create one and, and how long it takes for that to, you know, I've seen various things that, that show those, uh, you know, kind of a graph structure of at what point that it makes sense to have that as a solution to be environmentally right. conscious. And I, and I, and I think that's really the issue is that we're lying. If we're saying that that's really the environmentally right thing to do, it's not right. It, it probably isn't. It, it, it should have been, well, that's where hydrogen comes in, right? Yeah. Hydrogen yep. solved that problem much quicker. So, and, yeah. and much more and actually effectively reduce hydrocarbon output. So. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, enough about electric. Yeah. Let's go have some fun. So well, I got a question for you. Uh -huh. What is a recommendation that you would have for young guys like us getting into the sport, starting like podcast, filming, et cetera? You have been through the times of seeing technology come up and everything. What is a good recommendation for people like us getting into the sport and not maybe making a career in it, but having a good uh to get your foot in it in a good way, you know, to yeah. be able to be able to afford the sport the way it's going. 
uh, <laughs> start with a million dollars, yeah, and and plan to lose all of that. No, yeah. it, it's tough. I I think that you know, there's to get noticed in the industry isn't easy. It, it talent does have a, a way of rising to the top. Yeah. So, so writing and, and being good at it does matter. It has to be a For, part, right? I, I don't think you have, I mean, that's one of the cool things about social media is that you, you can generate relatable content that has value. Yep. Um, and, and by that value is the key Yes. Term. And, and and I say that because from a manufacturer standpoint or as anybody that's looking to to monetize um an individual's contribution, it there there has to be value there. Yep. And and I think that's where a lot of people like <laughs> you know, the the hundreds of emails I get, dude, I'll totally rock your stickers if you, <laughs> if you give me yeah. a snowmobile. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we don't need people to rock our stickers. It's funny. Um so when we're looking at it from that side, it's like, what do we get yep. out of it, right? And so if you consider that as as a as an up and coming athlete or somebody that's trying to make relevant content in the snowmobile industry, what matters or what should matter to you or the position you should you should your perspective should come from what benefit can I bring to them? Yes. Right. Yeah. Like how can I give you know, give a, a manufacturer or a performance company or you know, or any company for that matter, what value can I bring to them? Yep. And and that's what matters. So sure, developing followers, generating a, a, a following does matter. Yep. Um, but more than developing a following, how does that convert to actual money? Yes. Right. Because that's, I mean, guys, this is business. We're all in this mm-hmm. as a business. And and so if you make an investment in equipment and in, and, and so like starting out, you, you need to be on, like you can't get on, in 09 dragon and make content that's going to be relevant really yeah it's yeah. going to be monetizable yep, yep. so and, you know nothing against anybody riding an 09 dragon as long as you're having fun right yep. in a track. if that's I what you're really in it care for if you're on a yeah on a you know an old 75 panther yep. it doesn't matter but <laughs> you might actually who's that guy i i, I, I digress <laughs> anyway there's uh, larry enticer uh, yes oh, yeah, yes yeah, yeah. yeah. There is, there's a small space. Obviously, (laughs) you can make some money and you can spend $35 on a snowmobile. (laughs) Yep. But 35 bucks in a can of Coors Light. PBR, yeah. PBR. (laughs) But you better be tough. What's that song? Uh, If you're you're going to be be dumb, you better better be tough. tough. That guy's tough as nails. The thing, (laughs) the thing that I'm seeing in the industry is like when it, when I, it's coming to making a big living, not just like getting a free sled, but actually making a huge living. Right. What's crazy to me is it's not the best riders in the industry that are making the most money, in my opinion. Okay. So, hmm. w- like, a group of guys that I always, like, I watch and talk about is, like, there's a group of YouTubers called Sea Boys. Okay. And they're, they make, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Th- that's not the Island Boys. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. no, they're yeah. way on a different yeah. level. No. Okay. All right, I'm yeah. confused. So, Good yeah. Midwest boys. Island. Yeah, <laughs> no, but like they make relatable content, like in their shop, cars, stuff like that, and Lifestyle. they ride and yeah. they ride snowmobiles. But like they have a million followers on, or two million, I think now on YouTube, and it's like they're making way more money, I would guess, than the best rider in the industry that has seventy thousand on YouTube or even a hundred thousand. I, and, but you got to be careful with that because because <clears throat> the number of followers does not necessarily relate directly to the revenue. 
I I do agree, but like they're they went they they built this huge shop. They're all driving like Lambos now. Okay, but I, I, no, I'm not you're saying spe- that. But you're speculating. No, I know. To, to no, I know. But I'm just saying, like there. a lot of these industries, it's like sometimes you wonder, like, like for me, okay, I am not Caleb Kasturki. I know that. So it's like, how do I make relatable content that? Well, that's you just right. said it actually. <laughs> That, that's a really key point. Like people are amused by watching Caleb, but the majority of the writers out there know they will never, never be, be that. Right. But, you know, I would go harken back to the boondocker days. We built videos for whatever, 15 years. And those videos were well received by the industry, not because they had the most spectacular or crazy jumps that we were doing, you know, the guys were doing in Slutnecks or whatever. And I, and I supported all these films or, or the biggest shoot climbs that you know thunderstruck was climbing or any of that it was because it was there were two things actually that were the magic to it but they both converged in one point and that was being relatable so um and so the two things that converged there was the riding was relatable riding by guys that you know it was a lot of it was riding in ways and you know wasn't always the most spectacular, but it was super relatable, right? With the right. amazing snow guys could relate to. We had right. a blast. And and then then there was the kind of camaraderie aspect of it, right? As as all the riders interacted, you know, yeah, yep. fatty and smasher. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we just had all these these crazy fun interactions, right? So people enjoyed it. And they 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 were like, I get that guy. Right. You know, I right. get you. And and I and I can relate to that dude or I can relate to that sled or and and it was a it wasn't about you know making the most spectacular content it was about being relatable and fun right. and and entertaining so i don't think it has to be the best of the best i you know i've obviously uh, you know brought guys up through all of this into very successful positions in in the snowmobile industry i'd use like gen- genuinely good guys like 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 matt is a good example Lance. he's a great guy it started riding with us and and wasn't a very good rider but Super good guy, and stuck with it, and just worked and 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 found a niche, and and pushed into that space, and and did and, and from the aspect that you talked about, as to what he was always hyper focused on giving a return on the investment. Yep. So like, as as he worked with people, um, various companies, he 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 wanted to make absolutely certain that the benefit to that company was there. Right. When they left there, they left with value in their hands. Yes. Right. If, yes. if it were, I don't care if it was Climb giving him a, a, a jacket, he was going to make dang sure that everything in his being was focused on making sure that they got more than just that jacket out of him. Yes. Right. Yep. Whether it was, you know, and, 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 he, and, and I loved that about him. I always thought that was really important. Stay honest, stay real, stay true, but focus on that, you know, yeah. on that return on investment. That's a, you know, kind of maybe a businessy term that, but it it is a business. And if you're trying to be a yeah. content creator or you're trying to be relevant yep. as an athlete in the in, in in the industry, all of those things matter, man. Return on investment matters. It does. And it is a business. And and think about it that way. At the end so, of the day, it is a business. Yeah, and, don't come with your hand out. Yeah, that that yeah. those days are so like gone. Like, you know, you write Scott goggles a letter saying, <laughs> yeah, you know, give me a few pairs of goggles, whatever. Those days are gone, man. Yeah. People, that, that's yeah. not how it works anymore. You have to and, show them what you can yeah, do for you, them. What can you do yeah. for them, man? And, Why? And 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 they have to take a chance and be willing to take a chance on you too. So yeah. there is some of that, yeah. and you have to be saleable in that way. 
And and but I think honesty probably is the is at the forefront of that. You know, being real. And, yeah. And what you guys are doing is fantastic. I can't see this not being. You know, it's it's a meaningful contribution to the industry. People are genuinely interested. No, oh, we appreciate it. So yeah. I think Thank it's you. awesome. And I've seen your viewership grow too. And as that viewership grows, that adds value, right? And at some point you can say, hey, um, you know, you can bring sponsors on to your podcast. You can bring, you know, uh, there's a real reason to do that. Right. So you're well, reaching a target audience that's converting to sales. People can see that. Yeah. You know? But that's the and thing that's, is like so many people are like followers don't matter and it's like I I understand that to an extent, but the problem is, is how else do you measure how many people that they can get your product to? I guess is the thing. Is like obviously that's not the full story, but I think following helps because it is a very important metric. Right. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. I'm not saying it can't. It doesn't have to be there. But when you're talking about millions resulting in millions of dollars directly, it doesn't necessarily. No, I agree. You, you have a lot of guys, you know, community contributors. And various, you know, um, use a whistling diesel not to. Oh, I love whistling. Okay, so so we all we all find him amusing, right? (laughs) Does anybody actually know whether he makes his money off of monetizing his channel? Does anybody know? I'm not calling whistling diesel. I think he's amazing, and I think he's a good guy. But I don't know where his money comes from. Yeah, Yeah, you wonder. And and I don't know. I don't know how you can, how you can do that. I I don't. I'm not offended by what he does, but I do. So many people are. I, I so know many I love people that. in the comments he, are like, why would this idiot wreck he, an F9 yeah. Ferrari? <laughs> he obviously <laughs> plays to that, yeah. yes. right? Yeah. And, and, it, and it works. But I don't know, man. Like, yeah, you wonder. Like, I don't know. And so so, so that's speculation. I, I don't know. I think it's cool. And what you have to do is, is, is be entertaining and fun, and you'll, and you'll get that. And I think growing it organically does work. And that's, you know, that's a good story because that's what he did. Right. Yeah, you know, I don't think he, he didn't start out wrecking really expensive stuff. Yeah, started wrecking so, out of the F9s. <clears throat> yeah, right, our, that, that happened. Yeah. So, well, um, and I think something important that you said earlier, even with your name, you know, Voke, mm-hmm. is don't take sponsorships or something like that that you don't fully believe in or you aren't endorsing something that you don't truly believe in yourself because it's going to come off that way to your viewers or to whoever your audience is if you're not endorsing something you truly believe in. Plus it dilutes your brand. Yes. You know, if if it's a product, if you talk about, just go back 10 years ago and you're, and and you're, you were going to endorse 509 goggles 10 years ago. Yep. And you're talking about how great they were. Mm. Talking to you, Chris. (laughs) 509 goggles were junk. (laughs) Yeah. They're better now. I don't care what you say. And I don't care whether Chris was telling you that they were great or not. They weren't great, but they are now. Yeah, I like they're, them now. They're a worthy product now. Um, I still prefer Climb. The first Climb goggles suck too, to be honest. But whatever. Uh, I just think it's it's important to to stay true and to be honest. Like if a product works and you love it, then say it. Yeah. And you don't even have to get paid for it. Right. Like like I think that's really, really cool um, for for you guys even in a position where you've got some viewership, if you have a product you really dig, it's okay to say, look, I don't get sponsored by this, you know? I, yeah. I, I love this water or whatever. <laughs> this water is yeah. no good. <laughs> it's just cheap. <laughs> but anyway, I do love Smasher. Yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't sponsor me. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. So, I, I yeah, so that's that's important, but... I mean, most of all, man, have fun. We're, 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 you go around this planet and you, you get old and you die and that's it. Yeah. So what should we do in between here and there? Send it. Send it. Be, just, but, 
have as much fun as you can, but do so in the most loving way and the most honest way. And that's good here and it's good there, you know? So I think that's a good way to wrap it up. What are you throwing stuff down, bud? Yeah, I'm trying to throw away Break a camera equipment. There's a lot of like... really expensive equipment <laughs> about this stuff. It's, I wouldn't want to throw that on the ground, but, yeah. you know, spill my water on it or anything. <laughs> yeah, test the durability. Yeah. No, nah, it's right. good, good, good stuff, though. I think appreciate what you guys are doing. So. Yeah, we appreciate you coming yes. on. Thank yeah. you. Seriously, Thanks. really it was, thank it was you fun. for your time. It was fun good. to chat. So hope good. everybody had a good time. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank all you right, all, guys. and thank you for coming on. Yeah, and we appreciate it. Yeah. appreciate it big time. For real. So. Right on. All right, guys, we're out.